Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Next in Time podcast. I'm your host, S.T. Tangarala, and our guest is none other than Harut Markarian. If you want to know more about Mar- Harut Markarian, he is the founder of Markbotics, a company that develops assistive robotics to revolutionize independent living and accessibility. With a seasoned background within the aerospace and defense industry, Harut believes that an accessible world is an inclusive world and that Markbotics will reimagine the accessible robotics industry. And they are partnering up with a community of people with disabilities to find solutions together rather than fixing their problems from an outside perspective. So Harut, welcome to the show. Thank you, SD. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, no problem. So what's, is it true that, I mean, especially with the fact that the world is aging faster and then there are fewer people, fewer younger people out there trying to look after the elderly is it true that this is a necessary uh, like necessary technology that's needed for the world uh absolutely uh i mean b- even before talking about the uh increasing elderly population uh the community of people with disabilities historically uh, has been left behind have been left behind uh and you know i think it's time for someone or for you know for anyone to put more effort into, uh, you know, putting putting the community of people with disabilities first. You know, they're the largest minority group in the world, and for some reason, they're still left behind. So we're trying to change that. We're trying to address that need uh, with uh, by by you know providing solutions together and improving their quality of lives. Yeah, because I think I can relate to the fact that there are a lot of elderly out there that are losing their mobility. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's cases like, for example, if you recall that uh, President Trump's first wife, Ivana, fell off the stairs when passed away. Yeah. And be- and it was found out because of her limited mobility and because she had a hard time accessing the stairs. Do you feel that that kind of issue is like is like it's prevalent nowadays with el- elderly people or even oh. let's say even people who are disabled? Well, that's that's a fraction of the issue, right? Uh, you know, mobility is 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 a broad term, right? There's uh, when when we talk about people with mobility challenges, we talk about a lot of a lot of things. We talk about you know hip hip replacement surgeries, like we talk about uh, spinal cord injuries, we talk about cerebral palsy. So all this, you know, makes the uh, the people with with mobility challenges and when you think about it they're often prone to additional injuries because they're limited mobility and when we talk about accessibility you know not being able to climb up and down stairs is just a fraction of the uh, of the accessibility topic right there are other things that uh you know that needs to be accessible but yes, you know, being able to climb up and down stairs is part of an accessibility issue that needs to be addressed. All right, makes sense. So let's start off back with Harut. Harut being the the lovely engineer when he began <laughs> his when he began his uh, career, let's say, because you know you you had a you have a seasoned background in the aerospace and defense industry. So could you tell me more about like your overall background as to what you did before, before starting at, sorry, Mark Botics? Uh, well, before, before I was, I was a basketball player. I was, uh, I was a professional basketball player actually, and didn't even think about 
school or my my college career, my educational path. So that was all all like, you know, secondary, even tertiary at points. But uh, when uh, kind of that went away from my life, I started focusing more on my uh, college career. So I ended up getting a degree in mechanical engineering in my undergrad. I pursued my master's in robotics. And, you know, during my undergrad degree, I was already working full time in the aerospace and defense industry. And not because I chose it, it's because it was an opportunity that, you know, fell on my lap. My uh, professor at the time recommended me to this one uh, one one position in the aerospace and defense uh, industry uh, company. Uh, so I just went ahead and started that job and yeah. basically loved it and stayed in it. Yeah. So I was going to say, before we go into your background in the aerospace industry, um, we're, how just wondering how are you are you like six four six five or anything like that no, which is no, why I'm, you got into the basketball field no i'm six foot tall it's like around the same height as me but yeah <laughs> yeah but i actually the funny thing is for me is that when i the only time i ever played basketball more seriously was when i was in middle school mm -hmm. and after middle school i just never really considered it going forward yeah and i remember when people said okay this guy Everyone kept saying, oh, just because he's tall, meaning I'm a good fit for the basketball team. So I presume that's what people said about you back there. Right? Like, are you just wondering, are you originally from Armenia? Uh, I am. Yeah. So I'm I was born and raised in Lebanon, but yeah. by ancestry, I'm Armenian. Yes. OK, so people told you over there like, oh, look, Harut is going to become someone great. It's going to he's going to join the NBA one day. I am not actually no. They told me the exact opposite. You know, when, when you're playing basketball in Lebanon, um, you know, as a, as a pro athlete in Lebanon, there's no future in that, if, in, in pursuing that field, really, you know, you're not going to make a living off of playing basketball, at least not a, not, you're not going to secure your future by playing basketball in Lebanon, at least in my days. I don't know how it is right now, but in my days, it was, uh, you weren't making any, you know, you, you were making some money, but you weren't securing your future or anything, right? Um, so, and I was obsessed. I practiced all the time, you know, and I was good. Uh, I was good. And, and I wasn't the tallest, you know, I, at the, you know, I was six foot tall, uh, and, uh, but I was very good in the ball handling, shooting, and I was very fast. So those were my assets and I could, you know, I could read the floor well. So, you know, yeah, do I, you mind if I, do you mind if I ask what position were you? Point guard guard you were like basically the, the main person on the team yeah yeah exactly and uh you know i i practiced and people used to come tell me actually the exact opposite to what you said they, they, they'd be like why are you practicing so hard you think you're going to get to the nba or you think you're going to get to the next level i mean but i didn't care i used to practice with without lights sometimes you know but that's how i much how much i loved the game and i was passionate about it uh, but, nice. you know who, yeah who would be, be your inspiration uh, at the time, Steve Nash was my kind of idol, but my my father also played professional before me, and he had a long career in professional basketball. He played. 15, I think he admired uh, people like uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, someone like that. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But I mean, he played for 15, 15 or sixteen years in professional basketball. I played maybe uh, six years, five years, six years. So that I had to immigrate after that. So uh, you know, which was a blessing in disguise. So where? So you're currently living in California, right? I'm in Los Angeles. Yes, Los Angeles. So what was the journey on 
you know, making your making you move from Lebanon to LA? It wasn't pretty. Uh, you know, we applied for the green card years ago, actually 10 years before we got here. Um uh, when we first applied, I wanted to be in America, but when the time came to leave Lebanon, I didn't want to come here. Uh, because you know, as I was saying, I was I was living the dream pretty much. I was playing professional basketball, I was no work, no responsibilities, you know. <laughs> it was like huh. a dream come true. And I was fairly young, so uh, I didn't want to give all that up, but at the same time, I wasn't building a future. So, right. you know, and at the time my dad, you know, uh, you know, told me that we're moving and just long story short, I always knew that when my dad said something, it was always to my benefit. Uh, even though I disagreed with him at the time and I was mad at, at the decision he, he, he and my mom made, ultimately I knew it was for my benefit. It was for the family's benefit. So I just, you know, packed my stuff and came here. All right, cool. So now shifting focus towards um what you've been doing at the as part of the aerospace industry um when you started that career do you feel like that your experience playing basketball kind of helped propel your career in that in that direction or something different or is it just you love you just love planes or even spaceships i think no um it's 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 different you know i think having a passion for something is important when i was playing basketball I was passionate about it, right? Um, unfortunately, nobody worked on my mindset, which is huge, uh, huge deal when it comes to anything, if, especially if you're a pro athlete, having a strong mindset, having a, uh, a strong mental uh, faculty is really important. And, and when you have that, it can be transferred to other areas of your life, to other careers that you might have, you may have later. Uh, so uh, I wasn't, Mentally, I wasn't very strong when I was playing basketball, but I, I, I knew teamwork, I knew leadership, I knew uh, collaboration, right? That that all came from basketball. So you can, that's that stuff is transferable to any other industry. So I took that with me. Yes, I took that with me in uh, in the in the aerospace and you know in my in my job, in my career basically over there. And it benefited me a lot. So where did you work in the aerospace industries? I worked at several places. Uh, I mean, I worked at Boeing, I worked with Northrop uh, and you know these are the main two companies that people know of usually but I worked for other companies like Circor Aerospace, uh, Mason Controls uh, and they all did uh, they were all smaller businesses that fulfilled bigger contracts for the bigger guys like the Boeings of the world and the Raytheons of the world and the Northrop's of the world. Yeah it makes sense and also um, then you transfer from the aerospace industry to the defense industry right? Well, it's uh, uh, all all in the same realm. Uh, aerospace and defense is kind of the same thing. And so it's one sector. It's one industry. All right, cool. So, what were some important contributions you made to the to those two industries? Um, so, I worked a lot. Most of my projects was with the military. So, I worked. I visited air bases a lot around around the U.S. Um, I my first job was actually to work on the trainer air, aircrafts for the uh, U.S. Air Force. So uh, we redesign, redesigned the landing gear uh, and you know and gave, gave it to the Air Force. That was a cool uh, experience. I enjoyed it. I met a lot of cool people uh, at Boeing. I did the air refueling project, which was an autonomous air refueling pro project, which was very cool. 
you know, where, and I was working on the C-17 at the time. So, you know, you could refuel the C-17 mid-air without pilot interaction. So I thought that was one of the projects I'm very proud of. Um, uh, and I have a few patents actually designing uh, uh, remote controllers for, um, uh, you know, to control uh, heavy uh, military uh, vehicles. So those are some of the stuff that I've done. Some yes. some I can talk about, some I cannot talk about, you know. Okay, yeah, you don't have to. I mean, because uh, you just don't want to like expose what, what we're behind the scenes, especially this is more like, I, I presume you must have signed a contract or an NDA saying that you cannot reveal the deepest, darkest yeah, secrets. Yeah, abso absolutely. I mean, everything I told I told you is, is no secret. Everybody knows. Uh, but, you know, there are, of course, there are things, as you said, that, uh, you know, um, if you have clearance, you shouldn't disclose any of that, right? Right, right, yeah. So, yeah, fast forward to now Mark Botics. So when you started this company, so I've read on your bio that because of the fact that you've been dealing with difficulty seeing your grandparents suffer with mobility issues, mm -hmm. can you tell me more about like what's that situation like for you and how did that yeah, influence so, you? Absolutely. So my grandparents, uh, they both had strokes. Uh, unfortunately, we lost my grandfather a couple of years ago. Uh, my grandmother is still living. And after the stroke, they were their their mobility was pretty much gone. They were completely dependent on caregivers, and their lifestyle changed 180 degrees. And it was difficult for everyone. Yes, it's difficult for the for the person uh, who had the stroke, who went through the stroke. It's very difficult for them, especially the transition that that they that they went from being fully functional human being. Uh, you know. I mean, what they what we call fully functional, it's like basically you can depend on yourself to perform activities of daily living. And now they're fully dependent on caregivers. So that was a huge uh, emotional dump, you know, basically <laughs> on, on, on them, but also on the family, right? Now we have to take care of my grandparents. Uh, we know how they how they used to be, and now we're seeing them suffer that way. It wasn't easy for us, and we were trying to manage with you know caregiver care. There's a shortage in caregivers. Plus, acquiring a caregiver is not cheap, especially yeah. if trying to. Uh, if you, you know, were to if you were to say like you know in supply demand terms, like there's like fewer, there's like a low supply of caregivers. That means it's more expensive to hire one, right? Uh, well, absolutely absolutely yeah i mean it's i mean the prices are just ridiculous and i mean don't get me wrong that what the, the caregiver's job is very difficult yeah. uh so they deserve every penny that they're getting but at the uh, same time uh the people who are who require the help don't necessarily have the funds to pay them right yeah it's pay them to their need right to pay them to the uh, to fulfill the amount of time that they will require them to stay and help them yeah, because so I because yeah, because I was gonna say I think one of my friends and my fiance my not yes I'm not married or getting married but my uh, partner's fiance and one of my friends they're both caregivers and I can understand where they're going through in terms of like the difficulties in taking care of this person. I mean, the good thing about the care thing about caregivers is like you can either have like the easiest day. Where the care, where the person, the patient doesn't have to require so much, or is it, or they're going to go through one of the worst periods where it's like it gets very stressful. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's very daunting. You know, it's very they're they're doing the heavy lifting basically in all aspects of the of the word. Basically, they're 
it, and it depends from one patient to the other, right? Uh, some, some are very demanding in terms of their situation and some are less demanding. And hopefully we try to, we were, we're trying to address that with, with Markbotics and with, with the prototype, with, I mean, with our robots that we're developing. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Tell me more. I mean, you don't have to disclose every single detail about the robot, but in terms of the overall vision of what you're trying to build with Markbotics, tell me more about it. Like, well, how are you trying to solve the caregiving issue? So, you know, oftentimes when I talk about this, people think that we're, I'm getting rid of caregivers or, or Markbotics is trying to get, get rid of caregivers. And that's not the case at all. Actually, we're trying to help the caregivers, right? Because there is a shortage uh, and because there is, uh, you know, inflation, especially now inflation is at all time high, right? Uh, but, you know, people- uh, as of, I was just going to say, as of today, uh, I think Congress just passed the Inflation Reduction, Reduction Act. Yeah, so that's that... just that's just a band-aid. It doesn't, it's not going to, I mean, I, I follow politics a lot and uh, that's not going to solve any problems, any, any of the problems that we're having because it's a supply demand issue, right? right. You, can't, you can't just dump more money on something and expect it to go, expect the problem to go away. Uh, it doesn't work that way. But uh, that's a deeper conversation. I, I mean, I, I, I know you don't want to go. We don't want to discuss like politics because you know it's going to cause a bit of a rift on everyone. Yeah, that's exactly, the, but... exactly, exactly. It... Um, but yeah, so so, and people with disabilities in general are actually living below the poverty line. This is this is a fact, right? right. So having them pay for caregiving services, um, I, I'm sure insurance covers it for them, but they will fight tooth tooth and nail to you know not have to pay right so they're in a difficult situation as well you know they're living below the poverty line and at the same time uh you know they need they need caregiving services right so how is markbotics helping with that so we developed a a, a ground robot uh it's called grace and stands for ground robotic assistant for care enablement it's going to help the individual who needs the help and the caregiver so it will alleviate the like the the simple tasks that like the, like picking things up from the ground or walking. yeah so let's say i don't know i mean my grandmother drops the fork all the time right right so instead of the caregiver bending over 10 times in five minutes right you can have the robot do that right if if she requires a, a tissue let's say for her nose or she requires a remote control or she requires someone to open the door for her now she doesn't the caregiver doesn't need to be bugged by these simple tasks right so she can save her energy for you know heavier lifting tasks yeah. it's kind of um, like a, like you know the way the people envision ai is that ai is going to take over all jobs but in reality it's just trying to make the jobs more easier for people to take exactly. care of exactly and i'm i'm one who is against that statement you know i think well i'm going to preface that by saying the technology is very powerful, right? And the the way we're the, the way technology is progressing is also very fast. Now you can use technology to do good or to do bad. So it comes down to ethically where you're at, right? Ethically where you're at. What are you doing ethically to impact people's lives? Right. That's what it comes down to. And what we decided to do with this robot, which will have AI incorporated in it is to help both the caregiver and the individual. So it will help the individual in, in performing activities of daily living safely and independently. It will increase their quality of life and it will help the caregivers 
not to worry about the simple tasks, but focus on the you know more complex tasks that the robot won't be able to do because it's a liability issue or because we're trying to reduce cost of, of acquiring the robot. Uh, and you now, instead of having the caregiver 24-7, let's say, you'll have it three, four times a week, right? And then the rest, the, the other three days would be, you know, just you're, you're depending on the, on the robot to do, to do, you know, so it will help both sides. All right, cool. So regarding the robot, like how, is it like a mobile robot or how is a robot, like, how do, yeah. how do you see the robot, like, taking role of a, well, taking role, taking its role? So it's a it's a mobile robot. It's uh, and you know it it will have one or two arms. I can't uh, I can't say that yet. Uh, it's a humanoid robot, um, and it will move around your environment and assist you in doing various tasks. Okay, so makes sense. Yeah, and you can you can have your relatives. Let's say if I'm going to check on my grandmother and I'm not I'm not home, right? I can log into through my phone. I can log into uh the device and i can monitor what's going on at home talk to my grandmother see if she needs a help i can activate and control the robot remotely so where exactly in terms of the development is it right now we're doing the industrial design right now we have done a lot of market uh, vetting in terms of the, the to see if to convince ourselves before we convince investors that there's really a need for this product and we did that we have done a year and a half of testing right we right. have developed a prototype uh, and we tested it with people with various disabilities and it turns out that there's a huge need for this now yeah. we're doing the industrial design and of course we're actively raising funds i mean okay yeah where exactly so what do you have like a particular timeline as to where you're wanting to have this fully implemented with the caregivers and everyone else like uh, well, I'm anticipating a launch to pro I mean product launch to happen uh, June July of 2023 that's the projection and meanwhile we're gonna work on we're working on right now actually we're talking we are in talks with the triumph triumphs foundation and the christopher reeve foundation to be in partnerships with them to distribute the robot that makes so, sense yeah so why is it so just wonder why what challenges do you see in in these types in the in making in having the robot developed and Let's say, for example, like, let's say, for example, there's a lot of outlets out there. Like Japan is famous for having a lot of caregiver caregiver robots placed all over the place, especially considering the fact that the population is aging very rapidly. Mm -hmm. And so let's say, for example, if they decide to come to the U.S. and start competing with you guys on providing the best quality robotic or best quality robotic care. How does Mark Botics be able to step in and say, okay, you know what? We want to showcase that we have a better we have better ways on how we can care for our patients. Well, uh, I mean that could that could definitely happen. There are a lot of companies out there that uh, financially are far advanced than we are, right? And uh, but you know we do have an IP protection on the robot as as we speak today uh and you know at the same time we understand our audience you know we don't just look at the data we actually talk to our target customers right. and you know actually we know their needs we know how much they can afford how much they can afford to pay we know what what kind of activities they need help with uh so 
all this is our own research, right? And the ultimately it comes down to look, if you want to help people, you can't be bugged down by thinking about other companies coming and you know competing with you because we're not competing, we're innovating. So yeah, that's that, that's a that's what I call the golden the golden the golden rule for startups is yeah. you innovate you don't just you know compete to the lowest yeah, we, i denominator. mean we can't we can't compete on price uh clearly we can't compete on price any big company can come and put us out of a out of a job tomorrow if we compete on price but that's not what we're doing yeah because i'll say this i've worked i've been working with startups for the last three years now and one thing i've always saw that you know they're like if you were to work elsewhere like there's always those possibilities where um large companies can just beat you down with price, like say for Amazon. Like there was a lot of different e-commerce stores out there, but Amazon beat out all their competitors through yeah. low pricing. Yeah. But then I've, but some of the startups that I've worked with, they try to have proprietary systems in place so that, okay, that's how they can establish their competitive advantage over yeah. everyone else. Yeah. So I think what you're doing is that you're trying to create a very high quality robot be able, be able to properly care. And let's say if there are any risks regarding that rope, let's say, for example, if someone tries to enter the market, sell you a, sell you, a, sell them robots at much lower rates than what you are. So are you trying, let's say they have better functionalities, for example. So what, how would you like step, how do you find yourself competing against those kinds? Well, I mean, we have to we have to be first to market first of all, right? You have you, I mean, so we have the IP protection. We have to be first to market, and then we have to keep innovating. We, you know, complacency is the is your worst enemy, right? Uh, even even with all the patents of the world, people can still change simple stuff and then you know regenerate similar solutions, right? So, but. I mean, it all depends on the mindset. As I talked about, mindset is very important. What kind of mindset do you have? And what's your, what's your relationship with your customers? You know, do, do, do your customers, you have to establish that brand. Once you establish the brand and your customers recognize that brand, it's very hard for them to switch easily, right? And that's what we're working on. Actually, one thing I'm very proud of, I've built a community. Like now people in the disability community know that I'm working on this, yeah. you know? So uh I, yeah, because you told me off you, you told me offline that um sorry, I just got ding messages from everyone yeah. else saying I gotta you gotta join other other meetings, but yeah, that's fine. But I've gotten messages. I've gotten uh when we spoke offline, I think you mentioned that you used a podcast to be able to interview with people who are disabled to get those right ideas. Mm. So is that do you feel that's a good way of reaching out to potential customers? Well, when I did uh when I started, but I started the podcast during the pandemic, because I was before the pandemic, I was actually going door to door, basically meeting people and asking about their pain points to see what products I'm going to go to market with. But when the pandemic happened, obviously all that effort was stopped. Right, you can no longer visit people. So, and that's why I created the the podcast. It was an alternative way of pursuing my research and getting to know people. I actually befriended a lot of people through my podcast. Right. You know, people with disabilities that till today they're friends of mine. I talk to them, I you know, get advice from them, I share share my progress with them. It's actually I built a community with that. 
All right, cool. So now with your overall, so what's your overall goals with Markbotics in terms of, you know, you, what you're trying to do is service every caregiver in the world, or in, let's just start with America, then all over the world, right? Yeah, so uh, our immediate goal right now, obviously, is to find an investor, a strategic investor, that uh, that our visions are going to align. And what's our vision? Our vision is very simple. Our vision is to close the gap of those who can afford the assistive robotics and those who cannot. And in the world, only one in 10 have access to the assistive technology that they need. So there's a big gap, right? Only 10% or even less than 10%, like 0.1% have access to the uh, assistive technology that they would need. So our, our mission and vision is to close that gap and then be the most trusted assistive robotics uh, manufacturer uh, you know, for people with disabilities in the world. That's, that's, that's our, that's our vision. All right, cool. That makes sense. So, so I'm, I'm just going to ask some final questions since we're running out of time. So what advice would you give to other founders out there or even people who want, who wanted to want to build their own thing and want to provide the proper mission and want to create their right mission and vision for what they, what they're trying to do? Uh, well, you have to dig, dig deep inside yourself, first of all to know what your purpose in life is right and you know this is a this a lot of people talk about purpose but not a lot of people understand what that means you know uh and your purpose my purpose when i was 20 is different than my purpose in my 30s is different than my purpose now um and you have to constantly work on that and then once you find what you truly want to do you have to be able to work for free until you get it to a certain place where you now you can get start you know you get you get paid pretty much right so you have to be willing to do that and when can you do that when you actually enjoy what you're doing when you enjoy what you're doing it doesn't matter whether you're getting paid or not because you believe in your vision you believe in your mission so you have to consider that you know you're going to have to put in a lot of time uh is it is it difficult yes it's very difficult it's very challenging but at the same time it's very fulfilling to impact people's life to add value to other people all right Harut, i just want to thank you again for taking the time to be a guest at on the next in time podcast and i'm looking forward to seeing how mark Botics turns out to become thank you so much thank you esty